Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should cultivate your casual friendships, and we'll talk to author and finance expert, Ramit Sethi. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, outer order, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, my co-host and sometimes guinea pig for my theories. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And Gretch, I want to remind everybody that we have our next book club pick. Yay! It is the book Small Fry, written by Lisa Brennan Jobs, and we're going to discuss it in episode 230. And the paperback of Small Fry is available on June 18th. So you have time. Yeah. So episode 230 will air on July 17th. So if you run out and get the paperback on June 18th, you will have a full month until we have our discussion. And Lisa Brennan Jobs is coming in to talk to us. So that's going to be fascinating. It's such an interesting book. So much to talk about. Elizabeth, we're going to really have to hold ourselves back um, on yeah. that one. So happy reading, everyone. And also remember, if you are in the United States, Father's Day is coming up in a few days. It is June 16th this year. And so if you're thinking about a gift for a father in your life, I would suggest my biography of Winston Churchill, 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill. And I suggest it because over the years, I've noticed that I get many emails from people telling me, I gave somebody your book Mm -hmm. because they love Churchill or somebody saying, I love Churchill and I got this as a gift and now I'm emailing you. So it seems to be something that people pick up in the context of Father's Day. So I just offer that out. Yes. Dads love Winston Churchill. Yeah. Don't we all, as one does. So do moms. Everyone should learn more about Winston Churchill. He is the most fascinating person in the world. Gretchen, another idea for Father's Day is the gift of podcasts. Yes. Which costs nothing. Yes. But is very personalized and can really be tailored to the person to whom you're giving the gift. The gift of a podcast, you go to giftofpodcast.com and you enter your email address. And what you'll get is kind of a certificate that you can fill in like, oh, Gretchen is giving Cornhusker extravaganza to dad, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a podcast that does not exist, but one that he desperately wishes would exist because he cannot <laughs> learn enough about University of Nebraska football. And you can decorate it or like tie a ribbon around it or put it in a bag. And it's sort of like, oh, I will, I am going to teach you how to listen to podcasts and tell you about this podcast that I know you will love. And then the second page is kind of a cheat sheet reminding you or maybe the person you're giving the gift to of how to subscribe. It's not hard, but it's sometimes helpful to just have it printed out on a page that you can refer to. So giftofpodcast.com. It takes up no space. It costs no money. It requires no planning and no errands. And yet, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. free for everyone forever. And it's like the greatest gift of all time. So listen, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to cultivate your casual friendships. Yes, I think this is um, so great because it's just about sort of enriching everyday life. Yeah. And one thing that we talk about over and over, it's a huge theme on the whole podcast, is relationships. And that really... Ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that relationships are a key to a happy life. And there was a fascinating article in the New York Times, and I will post a link to it in the show notes, 
And it was by Ali Volpe, and it's called Why You Need a Network of Low-Stakes Casual Friendships. Weak Ties Can Offer Strong Rewards. And this article is a great roundup of a bunch of different strands of research on the significance in our daily life of what are called weak ties or very, very casual, low-stakes relationships. So what are examples of these? So these are like the parents you see at drop-off, but you never call them. You never have coffee with them, but you just see them regularly. People who you see walking their dog, the person who cuts your hair, the people you see at the gym, the people who serve you your coffee every morning. They're part of your life, but in a very casual way. Yeah, it really is true that if you kind of invest in those people around you, which again, doesn't mean you have to be best friends and have a monthly dinner date, but you get to know them it really adds a lot. Like for instance, um, for me, my high intensity weight trainer, Anne, and also Sheila, who's another person at that gym. I love them and I feel very invested in our relationship. I see Anne once a week for half an hour and yet she adds a lot to my life. And hopefully I add a little bit to her life as well. But it's it's knowing her is so much better than like just going and having a different person every time yes. and not having a relationship. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, because I go to Inform too. We go to two branches of the same high-intensity weight training. And Mike, my trainer, he actually gave me the anecdote that is like the big finish of my book talk for Out of Order, Inner Calm, because we mm-hmm. just know each other so well. He gave me this anecdote. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's going right into my talk, which I just revealed to him recently, by the way. But what the research shows is that when you look at the people who have more weak ties, they feel happier. And that maintaining this set of network of acquaintances makes people feel like they belong in their community more. It makes them feel more surrounded by goodwill. It gives them more empathy because often these relationships are people who have different kinds of lives um, than the one that we have and the people that we know well. And so it sort of gives you more insight into other people's Mm -hmm. lives. They just make us feel more like at home in the world because we have these people that we know, that we recognize, that we're developing relationships with over time. What's interesting is it can turn a huge city like Los Angeles or New York into a small town. Yes. If you see the same people all the time, it's the same feeling as living in a small town. Yes. And I like that you can cultivate this if you sort of take a minute to think about it. Like. In Los Angeles, there's probably 15 different places I could go to Starbucks, you know, if I wanted Starbucks, but I could choose to go to the same one every day and therefore get to know the people there. Well, it's interesting because a friend of mine here in New York said he made a point. He was one of these guys who he liked to go out and buy his newspaper every day for whatever reason. Mm. And he said he always went to the same place because he wanted somebody to feel like, oh, look, here's my great regular customer who I see every day and who I can count on to like come in and like, you know, buy something. And it's like, then it's a relationship that's growing over time instead of just like a bunch of random encounters. I remember when I moved to New York, I was astonished when I realized that the UPS guy who came to my building was the same UPS guy. Somehow like I just thought like, oh, in New York, there's a million UPS people, but I'm like, no, there's actually one guy. And I'm like, hey, you know, you're the guy who delivers UPS to my building every morning. just sometimes you don't even notice it. And also, I think something that can help you do this in terms of the cultivation part is if it's possible to do something at more or less the same time every day. Because if you go to the gym or you go to the dog park more or less the same time every day, you will start to see the same people because most people are, for whatever reason, that's the time they have to take out their dog. 
And then you form little relationships. And also what the research shows is the more familiar people are, the more we tend to like them. And so just by mm. being a familiar face, people are going to feel more warmly to you and you're going to feel more warmly to them. And then that's where this sense of, of a casual relationship begins to grow. If you do everything all at a different time, you might never get to the point where you see familiar faces. Yeah. And I, in the past, Gretchen, I used to sort of feel shy and not yes. strike up conversation with people. I would just avoid it. It's one reason why I, in the past, have not liked going to a hair salon because I felt too shy about making conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but lately, <laughs> in the past, like, two years, I know you relate, right? Yes, I do, um, 100%. In the past couple years, I have largely, because Adam is really good at this, yeah. I have started striking up conversations. So I'll ask people questions about themselves and most people like being asked questions about themselves. And so I just do feel more of a connection when I hear about someone's family, where they're from, yeah. how they came to do, you know, whatever it is they're doing. And it's definitely made me, one, more connected to them, and two, actually more relaxed because I feel more comfortable with them. Yeah. It does take social energy, though. I mean, I do. I, it does. I, I feel that feeling, too, where sometimes I just want to withdraw and kind of be very impersonal. Because it feels output. like it's, yeah, lower output. But actually, when you put it out, you get more back. So there is an energy exchange that comes from that. But I know what you mean where sometimes it feels it feels hard to muster it up. I really feel that way. I often feel like I can't really manage. Like Eliza and Eleanor, when they're walking Barnaby, they'll have long conversation with the other dog owners. And they know all <laughs> about the dogs and their lives and everything. And I'm just like, hello, um, if that, I have to say. But even if you upped it 30%, that yes. would be a lot more connections. Yes. It's not like you have to do 100%. But if you just are aware that it can bring you happiness, yes. chances are you'll do more of it and it will bring you happiness. Yeah. Because bottom line, of course, is relationships, as you always say, Gretchen, are the key to happiness. Yeah. We talk about it so often because strong bonds to people or what matter in life. Yes, and that's what makes us feel good. And I just want to mention one last piece of research on this subject of weak ties. It's slightly different because it has to do with the work context, but it's very useful thing to keep in mind. There's extensive research showing that weak ties are very important to finding job opportunities. And the mm, reason yes. for this is that the people who are close to you basically know what you know. They know the same kind of people that you know. They know the same kind of opportunities. And so their information tends to be fairly redundant with what you know. It's the person who's like, oh, well, my cousin works in publishing or, you know, my next door neighbor. And Elizabeth, you and I joke about this all the time because you're always like, oh, there's a parent in Jack's school that does XYZ. I'm like, what are these yes. people doing? Because it seems like anytime anything that comes up in your life, there's like, oh, there's a parent in Jack's school who does this. Yes. But it's like those are weak ties. But from weak ties come information and opportunities that we don't otherwise have access to. And so it is something that it makes us happier and it also might make us more effective in doing something like looking for opportunities or, you know, that kind of relationship as well. Yes, it has practical value as well as emotional. Yes, emotional value. Um, so let us know if you do try this at home and how cultivating your casual friendships work for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. I mean, as always, for anything related to this episode, like a link to the article that I mentioned that I think is quite fascinating, go to happiercast.com slash 225 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack that Gretchen is very excited about. But first, this break. 
Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Gretch, it is time for this week's happiness hack. And I love that it comes from Judy, your mother-in-law. Yes. Okay, so the hack is, you know how sometimes you need like a little gifty, like something inexpensive, but you want something that's like fun or like maybe your kid needs to like buy a class gift, like Secret Santa kind of thing for under $10. And you're like, oh my gosh, what can you get for under $10 that like people aren't just, that's going to feel fun. Or you just want like a little, like just a little fun thing, but that's actually fun and not just some, you know, inexpensive doodad that no one's going to care about. So for Passover, my mother-in-law, being the good grandmother that she is, she often buys little these kinds of little gifts for all the grandchildren. And this year, she really outdid herself. This is something called a rainbow twirler spinner. This is not an ad. <laughs> they are not paying us. This is just my enthusiasm. Rainbow twirler spinner, <laughs> which you can get from Kickerland, and I will put a link in the show notes. It's $4.00. And it's one of these spinners where you kind of move something up and down on a wire and it kind of opens and shuts. So I've seen things like this my whole life. They kind of spin up and down and they're cool. This one is amazing. It looks like a soap bubble and it goes into all these elaborate patterns depending on exactly how you run the thing up and down. And Eliza can't stop doing it. Eleanor can't stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Jamie can't stop doing it. Eliza's friend came over. He couldn't stop doing it. It's like, it's beautiful. It's really durable because people have been playing with this thing for hours, I got to say. And it's just kind of fascinating and hypnotic and it's really cool. And I just think for four bucks, this is the kind yeah. of thing like you're like as a stocking stuffer. I was going to say, I want to order one for Jack for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it, they're just fun. And like of that kind of thing, I just think it's so much better than that kind of thing. And I'm always sort of on the lookout for that kind of thing. It is the kind of thing where you could just like, stick it in your bag. And I'm like, oh, Jack, hey, it's fun to see you again. I brought you this little gifty. You know what I mean? It's mm. not like a big present, but it's just a small little thing. So anyway, my mother-in-law is really, really good at getting gifts. Like she's she really is. good at getting gifts. And this just just an outstanding kind of little gifty. Again, it's the Rainbow Twirler Spinner from Kickerland, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for our interview. Yes, we're so excited to be talking to Ramit Sethi. Um, and I don't even remember how I met Ramit, but I've known him for many years. I'm a huge fan of his work. And he just published a newly updated 10th anniversary edition of his super popular book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. 
It's got extremely practical, concrete advice, and he doesn't hold back from opinions. Yes, you really know how Ramit sees the world, which I think in a way with advice, it's easier in a way, even if you disagree with what somebody says, often it's, I like having a point of view because then it somehow clarifies my own thinking better. Welcome, Ramit. Hey, Ramit, so great to talk to you. Same, thank you for having me. Yeah, and you're joining us from Seattle by the magic of technology. Uh, we got right. three cities represented here. Well, we're so excited to talk to you about the new edition of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And one of the things is I noticed in the introduction to the new edition that you said that the first time you wrote the book, you didn't really cover the emotions around money. And you really dug into that much more for the new edition. Why do you think there is so much emotion around money? I think that we grow up hearing little phrases of money, and it might be our parents saying, we don't talk about money in this house, Mm. and it might be a friend saying, wow, you still have that old of an iPhone, Mm. and we don't quite know how to put the pieces together, but we know that we're doing something wrong, Mm. and most of us go through life just kind of playing whack-a-mole with money. You know, let me try it to mm. save a little bit here. And, oh, I think they tell me I should cut back on lattes over there. But we don't have a full picture. And so we start feeling bad. We start feeling guilty. And, you know, the financial industry is made to scare us with all these words like 401ks, etc. So that's why I wanted to make sure that we tackle the emotions and psychology. Because I could give you all the perfect tactics to automate your money. But if you don't actually look inside and say, what do mm-hmm. I feel about it? Mm-hmm. None of that stuff is going to help. Yeah. And when you say, I will teach you to be rich, Rami, what exactly do you mean by rich? (laughs) That's what I challenge people to answer for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, when Ah. I ask people, what does rich mean to you? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, their answers. Almost everyone answers in the same way. Either they use a vague word, usually it's freedom, Mm. or Mm. they have a number. They'll say a million bucks. That's Mm. very common. Mm. And that's sort of the starting point. Then I ask them okay, what does freedom mean? Or a million bucks, what then? And then you can see their eyes glaze over. Mm-hmm. And most people have never actually thought about what a rich life means. For them. Uh, they use these vague words. Yeah. It, first of all, it can be a number, but really it's almost never a number once you get into it. My rich life years ago was to simply be able to order appetizers when I go to a restaurant. Oh. When we were growing up, you never could order soda. It's like, why are you going to order soda in a restaurant? That's just like ridiculous. I still feel so luxurious. Elizabeth and I were just together and we both ordered a Diet Coke. And I'm like, oh, we're living the dream now, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) true. And and look at that example. What is amazing about that is it's such a small expense, right? Mm -hmm. It's literally two or three bucks. It means nothing to your financial well-being. But the feeling you got from it was good. And what you find when you really dig into what a rich life is, is it might be something that is actually pretty inexpensive. On the other hand, it might be something that is actually quite luxurious and expensive. I'll give you an example. My wife and I got married last year, and we took a six-week honeymoon. We brought our parents with us for part of it. And that was part of our rich life, was to create these magical Mm. experiences with the people around us. So what I would challenge people in the book is, what is a rich life? And get really specific. Don't give me words like freedom. Tell me, I want to take a taxi in the summer instead of going on the subway and swimming. Mm. Get that specific. Mm. And then I'll show you how to use money to live that life. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get a dog. 
And like a dog is expensive, you know, but it's like, I want a dog. And so therefore, like that feels better than like, I'm going to save X, Y, Z or, or something. Totally. Yeah. And I, by the way, listen to the energy in, in, in anyone's voice when you ask them, what is your rich life? And you really push them to get specific. People, their eyes go wide. They love talking about what they want. And I think in this culture, this very puritanical culture, we've started off talking about money with all the things you can't do with it. No, you can't buy lattes. No, you can't do that. No, you have to go into a cave for the next 70 years and just hoard money. But instead, if we said, what do you want? What is your rich life? Okay, I accept it. It's not shallow. I'm not judging. You can choose whatever you want. Now let's work backwards and show you how to use money to get it. Well, and Ramit, because I know you and I've talked to you about your wedding more, um, which is like such an, such an adventure your wedding was. I mean, I think also when people talk about money, they think very much about like their own relationship to it. But then part of what is exciting about it is to create like comfort and adventure and opportunities for other people. And I loved the way that you and your wife, I don't think many married couples, it would not occur to them to bring their parents along <laughs> and their in-laws along. But for you, that was really important of like the celebration of the whole thing, that it was going to be this huge milestone kind of across your families and that this was an opportunity that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have had. And you wanted to kind of have that be part of the the wedding atmosphere was, oh, it's going to be this whole thing, which is extraordinary. And I think maybe not what springs into people's mind as like, well, what would I do with my money? But then you're like, oh my gosh, this is like a life milestone for, for everyone. That's right. Well, one of the concepts that I talk a lot about, which I would challenge everyone listening to think about is what is your money dial? And a money dial is something mm. where, which you intuitively love spending money on. And everyone's got one. Mm. Let me ask both of you, what is something, when you think about the last month of your life, that you have just loved spending money on? Books. Mm. There you go. Okay. That's always a treat for me. I'm uh, so typical. Shoes. Shoes. Perfect. Love it. Okay, great. So what I do with this concept of money dollars, first of all, everyone intuitively knows what they love spending money on. Mm. Very commonly is food. Another one that's very common is health and fitness. Mm. And there's a variety of ones. Mine is convenience. I like my whole mm. life to be mm. hyper-organized. Yes. And Gretchen, I hear you saying, yes. I know, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love convenience. So then what I challenge people to do is I say, what would it look like? What would it feel like if you could spend four times the amount of money on that? If mm. you could turn that dial way up. And this is amazing to watch in person because most have never thought about it. You know, if you ask people, what's your rich life beyond saying freedom, a lot of people just say, I wish I could pay my debt off. Yeah. And I think, what a dim dream. If that is your dream, mm. it's no surprise you haven't accomplished it. But if you think spending four times on books, for example, Gretchen, what would that look like if you quadrupled your spending? Well, that, that could lead to other problems because we have limited <laughs> space in our apartment. But like, I get the point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you would fly authors in right? Maybe that they would come in for a dinner. There's so many things. So part of it for us was relationships. That's another common money dial. And we said to ourselves, what can we do to create these magical experiences with our relationships? And so when we were thinking more abundantly, money wasn't the first place we went. It was relationships. And we said, like, what's our dream? Oh my God, our dream would be to bring our parents along. And then the money part was secondary. Now, I also want to just emphasize, like, of course, that's a privilege to be able to think like that. Yeah. But we didn't start off thinking like that. You know, for me, it, my dream initially, as I said, was appetizers. So yeah. like, what would it feel mm -hmm. like and look like to be able to walk in and just order any appetizer? And that's a $10 purchase. Right.
in all of this, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions about the relationship between money and happiness? Oh, wow. The most common thing is that money can't buy happiness. That's a classic myth. Mm. And I kind of want to, I'm so glad you asked because it's a funny thing that people use to think about money and happiness. Um, first of all, when you ask them, like, what does that mean? They sort of stop because they just heard it passed down from someone to the other. If they're maybe a little savvier, they might quote this old, this research that says, well, after $75,000, nobody's happy, which is not what mm. the research said at all. And if you look at the research, what you find is that there's a difference between happiness and life satisfaction, and more money can certainly produce higher life satisfaction. And there seems to be no upper limit. People who make 500000 have better life satisfaction than people who make, say, 250000 and it goes down the line. Mm. What I would say is when most people say money can't buy happiness, what they're really saying is I shouldn't chase money because then I'll turn into a bad person. And that's really the crux of it. And, and the truth is, money does not have to make you a bad person. Money does change people, as it should, but it can, help you dif- it can help you dream bigger than you ever thought. For us, when I was younger and I didn't have a business, I would have never been able to bring my parents along. Or I would have never been able to do all the things that I can do. Now I can, so it's allowed me to dream bigger. And I think that I would challenge people, if they have these just sort of classic phrases they toss around like money can't buy happiness. Like, think about it. Maybe talk to some people who have more money and say, like, does it make you happy? What are you able to do with it? What are some of the downsides? Money is one of the most core things that we think about on a day-to-day basis. And I would like people to go a little deeper than just these classic phrases that they toss around. Right. Um, So you just got married, as we've been talking about. Do you have any advice for couples in, like, managing money together? (laughs) Yes. You know what? I went through quite a bit, and I asked my wife if it was okay if I shared some of our journey. Yeah, and she said yes, because I'll tell you the truth. We went through pretty challenging times talking about money. Um, We also discussed a prenup, Mm -hmm. which is something that Mm -hmm. nobody talks about publicly. And... um, And I'll tell you a couple things that that occurred to us. So one was um, my wife years ago had asked for some advice on a 401k. I gave her a copy of my book. I said, read this first and then we'll talk. (laughs) And she did. So we started talking about her 401k. And at a certain point, she said, I feel vulnerable because I've shared more with you about my money, but you've never shared anything about yours. And I realized, yeah, I had violated my own advice, Mm -hmm. which is to to be open and transparent. So we had that conversation and that was really gratifying. That allowed us to sit down and and have a conversation about possibilities. Like, what do we want our life to look like? You know, where do we want to live? All those things. Then as we started getting serious when we were dating, we actually sat down and we had an agenda, a very adult meeting. And I put the actual agenda in chapter nine of my book where I talk about love and money. (laughs) And, you know, we talked about how many kids do we want to have, if we want to have kids, all those things. And in that conversation, I also said to her, I said, you know, it's really important to me that we discuss signing a prenup because I was bringing a business to the marriage and an asset base. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, she, she sat back and she was surprised. She said, wow, like, I didn't expect that. I don't know much about it, but I'm open to learning about it, which was as great of an answer as I possibly could have hoped for because I was pretty nervous. Yeah. So 
we began this process and I have to say that it was, at first it was great. You know, we were kind of aligned and going forward and then it got really challenging, really hard because we started realizing that for me, maybe it's a prototypically male thing. I kind of wanted to jump right to the spreadsheet. Like, let's look at the math, you know, cause cell C4 is just math. And my wife, we were like speaking different languages to each other. We were sitting there and we were talking about money and talking about these numbers and it was getting harder and harder. And finally she said, we need to go talk to somebody because this is not working. Mm. And I said, you are hundred percent right. Mm -hmm. So if you're wondering how you find a therapist, which I had never been to a therapist, (laughs) we literally went on Yelp and just Googled therapist. (laughs) (laughs) So we found a therapist a few blocks away and we went there. We went there three times. I have to say it was probably one of the most challenging and eye-opening experiences. It was hard for us, but it also made us realize that we didn't have the tools at that time to talk about money in the way we needed to. I had been trying to jump to the spreadsheet because that's where I was comfortable. Really where I needed to start uh, was what does money mean to us? How did you grow up with money? Mm -hmm. And what do you think about it? What are your fears? What are your hopes? And the same for her. I didn't realize that I had a need to be appreciated because I've worked very hard. And day to day, I don't need affirmations or anything like that. But in this case, I actually really valued being appreciated. So our therapist gave us these tools to be able to have these conversations. And that's why I'm kind of trying to shine a light on this for everybody to know it's not uncommon. A lot of couples I've talked to now have these challenges. Oh, for sure. Yes. And so, you know what? I just want to say to everyone, you know, I've been writing about money for 20 years. I've literally been thinking about it every day for the last 20 years because it's my business. Even I had a lot of challenges with it and I wanted to get help. So I just want to share, it's not just you who's having challenges. (laughs) That's reassuring. Yeah. Ramit, I know that you're an upholder like me, and I think your book is a very upholdery book, and I mean that in the best possible way. But what I'm curious about is, do you have a try this at home tip that you would share with listeners for something that they can do at home to be happier? Yes. Yes, I do. And I am so excited to share this one. So you wouldn't believe how many people say to me, you know, Ramit, I've got $6,000 of credit card debt, or I've got $11,000 sitting in a checking account, and I have never opened up a 401k, et cetera. Do you think I should buy your book? And it always makes me laugh because the amount of time that people spend agonizing over buying one book, (laughs) it's like people will spend more time deciding on how they're going to dry their hair today Mm -hmm. than should I buy, you know, a book. And so I have a rule. I call it modestly. I call it Ramit's book buying rule. Mm. And the rule goes like Hmm. this. If you ever think about buying a book ever, if the title is interesting, if you like the cover, buy it. Mm. Don't think twice. Mm. Don't ask a friend. Just buy it. A $10 <laughs> book is the best use, and it could be a romance novel. It and I have not paid writer. Ramit to say this as a fellow author. <laughs> <laughs> and it's definitely the books. It's definitely Gretchen's books. You got to buy it. And what it will do is it, it's such an inexpensive way to live an abundant life because it's $10. Mm. Everybody can learn one thing from a good book, and there's no better ROI than an author's years of their life and to take it and apply one thing to your life. So Ramit's book buying rule, work it into your life. One of my favorite saying is, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think sometimes you're sort of led to the book that you kind of need to read at that time. And so, yeah. 
I like this. That's right. This is good for you, Gretchen. Yeah, I, I, you you yeah. like to buy books. I love to buy books. Now I was like, okay, I've got like uh, the, the brakes are off. Excellent. <laughs> well, Rumi, thank you so much. Congratulations on this 10th anniversary edition of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And we're so happy you were able to join us from Seattle. Yes. Thank you so much both for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rumi. Thanks, Rumi. Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a traveling-related demerit. But first, this break. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Now, I have to say, I'm not sure if this is really, truly a demerit, or if it's just sort of a regret, or maybe mm. it's just like something that I wish I could do that's hard to do, but it's something I want to ponder and perhaps change in the future. When I travel for work, like if I go, if I'm on a book tour or I travel to speak, I never try to connect with friends. And it's almost like they're two separate part of my brains. And I don't even think like, oh, I'm in San Francisco, but I'm not calling XYZ Mm -hmm. person. It's like I even forget that they're even in San Francisco or that San Francisco even exists as a city apart from whatever I'm going into do. I just sort of get in and get out. And and now part of this is when I travel, I do try to minimize the time because of Eliza and Eleanor. Like, you know, I just, I feel like I'm not like taking an extra two days to enjoy San Francisco. I'm kind of getting in and getting out. But there are, and sometimes I have stuff all day long or it wouldn't be possible. But there are times when it might Mm -hmm. be possible for me to meet somebody for lunch or, or breakfast or, you know, whatever. And I just never think about it. It does occur to me that I have these opportunities that arise from, you know, my traveling where I could see friends. And so I want to think about whether I want to try to do that, like kind of as I travel in the future more. Yeah, because I will say I could see how it would seem sort of draining and overwhelming to try to meet someone for lunch when you then have like an event that night. Yeah. But what we know from your research, yes, if you saw the person, you probably would actually be energized. It would probably have actually an energizing effect, even though it feels like it wouldn't. Well, and then also the travel would feel more rich and more and like more even benefit, like it would feel like I was getting more out of it. But I think you're exactly right. What I need to do is remind myself, I'll be glad I did it. Even if thinking Mm -hmm. about it in advance, I'm like, oh, I don't want to write like write an email and then coordinate. And I don't know, like, where's my hotel? And like, is there a resident? It's always worth it. It's never that much work when you really think about it. And it's always worth it if you get to see somebody, especially somebody that you don't see often because they live in another city. Yes. Uh, so so I try it and report back. Okay. I will report back. Now, what's the gold star? Give us a gold star. Okay, Gretch. I am giving a gold star, which I'm sure you're going to want to join in on, um, which is to Brent Aben, yes. our tour manager, yes. our happier hour tour manager. Brent was the tour manager for our three-city recent tour. Four. Four. Oh, that's right. That's right. Four-city. We went to New York, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and Detroit. And Brent coordinated all of that. He was responsible for our meet and greet, for having the slides change at the right time, for making sure the sound system was working. He just did everything. Yeah. And you and I were so nervous and unsure about how everything was going to work. Yeah. And Brent was just so smooth. There were just no hiccups. No, at one point I said, Brent seems so calm. I worry that he's not taking this seriously enough. Or maybe this just is so easy for him. He's calm. And then by the end, we were like, Brent is just so in command that he's not getting perked up the way we are. (laughs) He truly has the perfect demeanor for this job because, you know, we're kind of nervous and like hyper, anxious. And he's just 
calm and reassuring. Yes. And I'm sure we were kind of a lot to deal with. So I really appreciate yeah. what an amazing job he did. Yes. And he really is part of the reason why we're so confident yes. about doing more cities. Yes. Because we feel like we have someone yeah. um, so great in our corner. Yeah. No, it makes it a lot easier to feel that enthusiastic about doing it again when you feel like you're very confident in the way. And I have to say, listen, I feel like we're so fabulous that we have a tour manager. I can almost like not say oh, that I enough. I know. I love having a tour <laughs> manager. Um, and also, Gretz, just one final point. It is so satisfying when someone is great at their job. Yeah. There's just like nothing like dealing with someone who is great at their job. It's like an aesthetic pleasure. Yes, it really is. Yes. So thank you, Brent. Thank you, Brent. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Cultivate your casual friendships. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our terrific guest, Ramit Sethi. The updated 10th anniversary edition of I Will Teach You To Be Rich is available now. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. And when you tell that friend, be sure to tell them that it's free. Because sometimes when people talk about subscribing to a podcast, they think that that means they have to like subscribe, like they have to sign up for a subscription. Subscribe here. It's free. It's free. So show somebody how to how to listen to a podcast, how to subscribe, and do rate and review us. That really helps other people discover the show. Again, for Father's Day, think about my books like 40 Ways to Look at Winston Churchill. Or if you've got some father in your life who wants to change habits, it could be better than before. One who wants to know more about the four tendencies, the book, the four tendencies. And remember, there's giftofpodcast.com if you want to print out a certificate um, to give the gift of a podcast. And if you are looking to have a stack of library books for your children to read over the summer, or if you want a stack of children's literature books to read over the summer, if you go to GretchenRubin.com resources, you can get the PDF of my 81 all-time favorite young adult and children's literature reading list. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Elizabeth, you know what Bob and I have been talking about while we were waiting for you to get on? I have a guess. Yeah, it's okay. Game. Let's see if you get it. <laughs> what do you think? Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, you know it. You know it. We'll be no. talking about it for months. From the Onward Project. <laughs>